and banter. Have you ever had coconut water? How do you, how do you, oh, water. Coconut gonna, water. No, <laughs> it's not coconut milk. I was going to say, how do you milk a coconut? <laughs> From what I understand, it involves uh, forceps. My, my, att- <laughs> my attempt to make a joke fell flat on its face. Uh, I tried to help you out. Yeah, I don't know how that uh, how that works. Assists with jokes. I don't know if you get any 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 uh, accolades for that. What? Yes, coconut water. I I think I've had it before. You know, I hear it's actually a good IV solution if you are lacking one. Really? Yeah, I believe so. Well, it's supposed to be very hydrating. Yeah. So I don't. I guess it maybe has electrolytes in it. It would have to have electrolytes in it if it worked for yeah to to, to rehydrate via IV. Uh, I mean. In reality, too, like, you know, like IV fluid isn't anything fancy. It's just salt water. Right. So, although you can, there are some that have like uh, potassium and other electrolytes in them. How, how, what are we talking about? Why are we talking about? Well, because I have it here. I, I have coconut water. I brought it with me. As a, as a conversation. I like I was, as a conversation starter. Sure. Yeah. No, not as a conversation starter, but as a, as a hydrator, because I, I came here realizing that because I took a nap this afternoon that I was underhydrated mm. and I wanted to be prepared. Okay. How much of that have you drank? About halfsies. Down the hatch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm trying to make it make I can't it have last. you falling out in the middle of a deuterocannons. Right. But if I were to fall out in the middle of a podcast, this would be the podcast to fall out in the middle of. That would be deutero unacceptable. That would be a deutero no-no. It'd be Deutero nothing. You'd just be a solo cannon. That'd be solo cannon. And from what I've heard, you don't want cannons firing alone. They need to be fired. In sections. Correct. In sections. Good. That's That's a a Byronism. Welcome to Duro Cannons. I'm Byron, and with me, as always, is Justin. Party on, Justin. Party on, Byron. And we're on episode forty something. Seven. Are, is it forty seven? I think last week. I, I thought last week was forty five. It turned out to be forty six. Forty six plus one is forty seven. We need to get the whiteboard back up in here because we're not even trying anymore. We're trying. We're just not trying to have whiteboards. That's right. Well, that's because uh, we got we have some work to do in here, but uh, we'll get to that. Anywho, we're still here cranking out excellent Duro Cannons content. At least we think so. So for that, with that in mind, go ahead and like, share, subscribe, tell a friend, uh, comment, do all the things that uh, 21st century humans typically do on the internet. Is it still the 21st century? I don't think it's the 22nd century. It's so 20th century to still be 21st century. Wait, say that again? It's so 20th century for this to still be the 21st century. <laughs> yeah. Get with the times, century. Uh, so I think we've done all the due diligence that we must do for the internet. We also need to let remind you that we have the Allensville Church of Christ, Christ podcast, of which we are a part of, uh, not to the degree that we talk on here per se. Uh, we do the intros, and occasionally we preach. This week's sermon came from Justin, Easter Sunday, which, by the way, happy Easter, all the Deuterocanonites. Deuterocanonites. So Justin preached this week, and then we've also preached. <laughs> we've also posted a historic sermon from brother hall crowder and the historic sermons i i really want to recommend those really just to anybody who's already listening to us they're they're really interesting it's it's really something to go back 
in in the case of the sermons we've been listening to, it's 1970. So what's that? 40, 50, that's yep. 52 years ago. It's several decades. And to see what was on the mind of, of preachers back then, people who... Some of them I've known, my parents have known, or folks at our folks at our church have known. It's really interesting to, to turn the clock back and to see what those guys were were thinking and talking about back then. Well, I'll tell you the things that's that's interesting to me about it as a you know maybe not an Allensville native uh, to the degree that perhaps you are, and then more so the folks who are actually native to this area of Kentucky is so first and foremost is as you know as I'm listening to these tapes, it's like. I mean, I, I assume they've been listened to maybe once or twice since then, but maybe not. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's possible that after the recording, they got put in the box yeah. and then haven't been touched since. So we're experiencing moments in time that might have otherwise gone unexperienced, apart from those who experienced it in real time, Yeah, which is interesting. And then the other thing is, you know, and I've, I've noticed this anywhere I've been having traveled around quite a bit between the church and the army. You know, you go places and you hear names, and those names are obviously, you, you learn that they're significant to that group of people. Um, and so in this case, to be able to hear the voices of the names that I hear so many people talk about, Hall Crowder being one of them, because I, I, I know I've heard his name more than once. And and I guess, so he's the he's the gentleman who would come and spend the night at the church building Saturday night into Sunday morning so he could No, preach. that's that's Matt Craig. Okay, Todd made it said that he okay he drove up at least right. Yeah, he, he would do that on Saturday nights. Yeah, typically for for many years okay. he would come up on Saturday nights. He was the the minister at Gallatin. Was he not Church of Christ sleep, during that time? Spending the night then? <clears throat> no, I think he would go back because he would be preaching at his own church Sunday morning. Oh, so he would do something on Saturday night for Allensville, right? Oh, interesting. Right, so Allensville still had church on Sunday mornings, but but there were times when. I believe this is correct. Todd or somebody would have to correct me on this. But I believe that there were times when, when they would have Sunday school. Like if they didn't have somebody coming to preach mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning, they would have Sunday school and they would sing and take communion and sing some more and I guess maybe and have a scripture reading and, and that would be it. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. And of course, I could be wrong about that, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm correct. Anyways, I guess the long and short of that is just please check out the Allensville Church of Christ podcast. Again, you can hear... Some more, some modern day content, and then some older content. Uh, and as of right now, again, we're we're all all the way back in the seventies, so more of that to come for sure. All right, so let's get back into our topic. Um, so continue to work our way. You know what? Should we should we pay homage to it being Easter before we get into? Pay it? homage to it being Easter. Okay. What what do you what's on your mind about Easter? Obviously, you preached a whole sermon this morning. I did. I guess the things that are on my mind about Easter are are the things that have been percolating due to the uh, the concert that we went to on Friday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew Peterson, <clears throat> the Resurrection Letters album that that he performs uh, leading up to Easter every year. It, just really good the lines from those songs are ha- have been in my head. Um, so anybody who's interested in hearing some good music good lyrics, good thinking that that's produced all of that on, on the topic of the resurrection and its significance. I definitely recommend Andrew Peterson to, to anybody. Uh, so w- one of his songs uh, was really influential to, to what I, what I spoke on today in the sermon in the chorus, it says Christ has come, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, which is a, it's a thing that that's been said in the church for a long, long time. I mean, I guess maybe that's part of some of the old liturgy. 
but to, to hear that in, in the course of a, of a whole night that's got various songs that are focused on different aspects of Jesus's life and death and resurrection and his coming again, which that's something that I, I'm really impressed by Andrew Peterson actually discussing is not just, well, okay, so he Jesus did all this for us and then he went to heaven and and I guess it'll all just sort of work out someday. May, yeah, and it'll be good. He actually talks about Jesus coming back and people being raised from the dead. Uh, like he, he's got a couple of lines that have to do with, you know, the, the analogy that that's used in the scriptures of a, of a seed being dead and, you know, going into the ground and then sprouting back up as a plant. Mm-hmm. And, and he brings that into his music. You know, I think the thing about him, him and, you know, I don't mean to take anything away from other Christian artists, mm-hmm. but I really get the impression with him that he's got like solid theology behind mm-hmm. everything he's doing, you know? Right. Um, and I guess, again, not to take anything away from other Christian artists because I, you know, you know, I, there's a couple that I, I have in mind that I know, know their Bible, mm-hmm. but then I, I also feel like that, that there's others who might just use Christian music as just a genre of music. Yeah that they sing and maybe they aren't particularly religious. I don't, I don't know. That's maybe, maybe not fair. I guess what I'm trying to say though, is again, you, he seems like a well-read individual who, and you can see that in his music because they are very, um, I don't know, very biblical. The, the songs are very biblical. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah, they are. And I think it's also interesting to, to hear that music after the sermon that, that you gave on there, there's something about art. I was thinking about that too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess real quick, what I I was I've been chewing on this week. Um, I I thought I was on the, the table today, so I, I guess this can kind of be a bit teaser for the next time I I do communion. But um, I'll only actually talk about half of it. So I was reading through Numbers or listening to Numbers in the car, and it's talking about uh, you know, what it what is being given to the Levites and the priests, <clears throat> and it's that that uh passage that talks one of many passages that talks about the Lord being your portion. Oh yeah. Which I think is interesting when we talk about that, that Psalm sixteen says that yes, there's multiple right. Yeah. So there's some of that in what you're reading today. Yeah, there's a couple passages, Lamentations as well. Okay. Um, but what's interesting about that is, uh, I guess I'll say this as well. And so I, I mentioned to you after the concert how he said the word foretaste a couple times, and so I I was thinking about how the Bible will appeal to our senses and taste being one of them, hmm. and so. I think about that idea of foretaste and portion, and then think about the Lord's Supper, where we're literally taking portions. And I mean, this is a uh, a a uh, Eucharist with traditions in a meal, another meal, you know. And so this idea of, and then of course I think of the song like "The Lord is my portion," says my soul, you know. Um, and so ultimately, just this idea that that our port Jesus is our portion and in taking the Lord's Supper we get a foretaste of his glory which of course is another song right a foretaste of glory divine which I think all ties into the Easter thing you know so what do you think about what the word portion means like like it's <clears throat> it, its definition and then how it plays into that um, well you know in I guess going back to numbers where they were literally divvying out land mm-hmm and the Levites weren't going to get any land. Mm-hmm. The Lord was their portion. And so then you see that passages other places where, I guess, like their piece of the kingdom, if you will, is the Lord himself, maybe. Okay. But 
but I guess when I think of portion, it is it's that idea of like, I don't know, your share. You, you know the um, the song the the stead. Well, I guess this is from Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Right. That's what I was just saying. Yeah. Yep. Uh, do you know the song? The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. That's the one. Yeah. I I didn't realize that that was Lamentations until I, I started saying it, and yep. then I, oh, that's the Lamentations one you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So portion. So so an allotment. Mm-hmm. A, a oh, thing. A, a thing that's given. Right. And. <clears throat> And I guess this is where maybe it would dovetail with some of what Andrew Peterson talks about and what Winston well, we could say talks that about a, quite a bit. A foretaste is also a portion. It's just a, sure, a small portion. A small portion you get before the main thing. Yes. You know? Yeah. It's like what you do at Sam's. <laughs> exactly. That's a foretaste. Yeah. It's like, hey, isn't that good? Don't you want more of that? Uh, if you get enough foretaste, though, you get a whole meal. You just got to wander around Sam's enough times. Right, three laps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so if there's a portion uh, of land, let's say, like we see in in numbers, so it's not something something that's simply given, and then oh well, I have it. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. It's something that's that's useful, right? And it's something that that also implies and necessitates work. Well, you know, you you talked about like a foretaste of glory. Yeah, uh, I was looking up a definition of a glory, and one of the things it talks about is it being a tangible thing that you can experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Glory uh, would be manifestation. Mm-hmm. So you, th- if you think about a light bulb, so there's the light bulb, and that's you know that's good. Mm-hmm. But when it's plugged into the right place, and you flip the switch, well, there's th- there's this other property, or there's this thing that happens. Yeah. With it. Yep. That's sen- sensible. I mean, that's you, more you, than the light bulb. Right, mm-hmm. right. It's it's the light is the, the byproduct. It's the or it is the product of the other things that are that are happening. So allotment, uh, portion, y- you get into the idea of of work. Right. And so if the Lord is our portion, like like it said of the Levites, you know, I think that that's that's still true. But if Jesus is coming back, then then that. I mean, how many times does Jesus talk about or have parables regarding faithful servants and unfaithful servants mm-hmm. and how the, <clears throat> the the one who, I guess this is in uh, Luke, maybe Luke 20. Mm-hmm. I, I was I was listening to uh, the, the, the last several chapters of Luke this week on my way to and from school. And that, that's one of the parables. Um, the, uh, the, the master gives the, the talents. Right. And two of them are faithful servants and they're not given the same amount. They don't have the same portion, but they're both faithful with the portions that they're given. And then you have the one servant who isn't faithful Mm -hmm. and the the servants who are faithful with what they're given with their portions, with their allotments. Well, when the King returns, they're given more. Right. And the one who isn't faithful, the one who makes, who has no return, who, who didn't do anything with the portion that was given, don't get well, and as usual, what you're saying is uh, incredibly appropriate because, again, when you think about that, like when we get into the promised land, you're going to have your portion, and there are going to be blessings that come from that portion. I mean, frankly, without you doing anything. I mean, when the spies go into the promised land, they come out with all of this fruit and, and yeah, you know, 
fruits of the land. But then there's also this, uh, the aspect where you have to put into that, um, to a degree. I mean, again, some of, some of the, that land will produce all on its own, but then there's also work that you're going to have to do by virtue of being there. So, so there's blessings that come from it, but there's also blessings to put into it. Right. Yeah. yeah, There's, there's work to put into it, but, but that's the thing. Like God is what was giving them the place where the work could actually occur and be fruitful. So does that mean like when Jesus comes back, there'll still be work? Absolutely. Yeah. I can't think of anything that anybody could possibly come up with in the scriptures that could get anywhere close to approximating the idea that we won't have real work to do in a real physical place when Jesus comes back. Well, I'll remind you, we're supposed to be talking about peace, which we'll get to, but this reminds me of when we talked about work, I think we know that to be true because in the garden, even before the fall, man was put there to work and woman, woman was put there to help work, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so there didn't cease to be work. The, wor- the work was simply frustrated mm-hmm. and encumbered and opposed yeah. in, in the curse. The, the work became a matter of life and death instead of simply a matter of life. Yeah. <laughs> There's our homage to Easter. <laughs> All, All right, right. So we are supposed to be... Man, I just maxed this out there. We are supposed to be talking about peace or continuing our series from the fruit of the spirit on the aspect of peace. Last week, we made our way through the definition and then the attributes of God, uh, as depicted in the matrix or table in my Bible. And the same opening is as Galatians. Oh man, you have a red pill Bible? Five and six. Red pill Bible. Yeah. What does that mean? You said it had a matrix. Oh, I don't know if it's necessarily red though. Um, anyways, you're getting me off topic. Here we go. (laughs) So we talked about, uh, pay, uh, Peace. Peace as an attribute of God. So now we're going to move along and talk about peace as an attribute for Christians. So the first verse for peace as an attribute of Christians takes us back to Isaiah, which is where uh, we spent a lot of times last week. Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah 26. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26.3. Okay, I'm there. <laughs> okay, let's read that again. Sorry. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Okay. Um, so, a steadfast mind. Wait, sorry. So, we're saying that trust, trust equals perfect peace? Trust equals perfect peace. Okay, uh, that that does seem to be what it. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, because they trust in you. What's it mean to be steadfast? Hmm. Okay, could, could you read yours again? Because I'm looking at the NKJV here. <clears throat> you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. Stead- okay, because they trust in you. What is your yeah, saying? Mine says stayed. Stayed, stayed, and steadfast. That 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 works. I mean, so that's like grounded, rooted, immovable. Right. right. So I think it's helpful to to maybe think of think of an ob- opposite. So in the New Testament, we have the criticism of those who are blown about by every wind of doctrine or every every wind of teaching. Right. So that's what we have here is is the opposite of that. Like. Um, a con- I'm doing some some work in uh, logic and logical fallacies with uh, some of my classes at school, 
And so I was, I was asking them early in the week, last week, when we started on that conversation, like, so what does the word logic mean? <coughs> of course, it's a word that they've heard, but that doesn't mean that they know what it means. Right. It also doesn't mean that they have any clue what it means. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, so w- where are these people? Mm-hmm. Like, they, how, do they know what this is at all? And so one, one of the kids, or maybe a couple of the kids, came up with, maybe it means open-minded, and so we had a conversation about that, how open-minded well, people often assume that being open-minded is always and everywhere positive and that being closed-minded is always and everywhere negative. Right. And so I presented some examples that showed that it's really context that would reveal whether Which is appropriate. Right. Yeah. So, I, so once they said, oh yeah, yeah, it's bad to be closed-minded. I said, well, I'm awfully closed-minded about where my pants go. <laughs> right. And I'm very close-minded about the the proper location for my right shoe. I'm like, oh. I said, and I'm really close-minded about how many wives I should have. And they they go, oh, yeah. So so I said, there there are things about which we ought to be open-minded, and things about which it's really healthy to be close-minded. So this this verse here, being steadfast. I, I think that that's that's the that's the best way to say how we should be. It's not that we should be open-minded or closed-minded. Mm-hmm. It's that we should be steadfast in the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Yeah. But fools despise wisdom and discipline, and if and if people are have this like open-minded, closed-minded dichotomy, <clears throat> and how good people are good people to the extent that they are open-minded, which oftentimes that doesn't really work out, and the people who are declaring the most loudly that being open-minded is the most important thing in the world are often perhaps the most closed-minded people that there there are. Uh, but anyway, that that aside, being steadfast in the Lord obviously does produce perfect peace. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why Jesus was able to sleep in the stormy boat. Right. Or in the boat in the stormy sea. Mm-hmm. He had perfect peace. That's not to say that somebody who has trouble sleeping or is, or is concerned about something to the extent that that person can't sleep on a particular night is necessarily unfaithful or disobedient because we also have Jesus in Gethsemane where he was awake and the disciples were asleep. Yeah. But still what we have is that, okay, so the the ship was being tossed to and fro by every wind that happened to be on the sea, Mm -hmm. but you, but Jesus was, was, was solid and steadfast, um, in, in that moment and the disciples weren't. So let me try this then because it's my, uh, I have a note here, and it's saying C. Where'd it go? C thirty fifteen and note. Let's flip over there a couple pages. Thirty fifteen. Yep. It says, "This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says: In repentance and rest is your salvation; in quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it." Hmm. And then the note says. Repentance and rest, the true way to salvation and security. So I guess I I feel like kind of what you're talking about there, security might be another word that's appropriate. Because again, if I'm in this boat that's being tossed about by the waves, a very unsecure situation, a very uh, chaotic situation, if you will. Yeah. But if you're secure enough to sleep while all that is going on, uh, like that security is rooted in something other than what's going on around you. Right. Right. And, and and I think I think we might be able to say that because Jesus was steadfast yeah. in his faith, he could do what was right regardless of circumstances. 
Well, I guess what I right, and so when we, but but that seems to be a common theme with these these aspects of the fruit of the spirit is this idea that uh, these things are coming from something other than the environment the environment in which we find ourselves. Go on. Well, I mean, we talk about when we talked about love. It's this idea of uh, love not necessarily being condition a condition of how. You know, others are treating us. Sure. Yeah. Right? Or what, what we talked about so far, love, joy. Again, our joy is an inner happiness. It's not necessarily uh, the uh, the product of our environment. And I think mm-hmm. it's the same thing here. We're talking about peace, being able to have peace. I mean, again, I think you, this is a great, this is a great, this is a great image. Sleeping soundly in the boat. So being at peace, because we're still, still talking about peace, right? Yeah. Being at peace in the midst of a storm that's obviously coming from somewhere other than the storm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that, that that's really good. And I mean, and I'm glad that we're talking about this because I had never I had never thought before about the uh the juxtaposition of Jesus sleeping when the disciples wanted him awake, and then later uh the the disciples sleeping when Jesus wanted them to be awake. Oh man. That's good. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that either. Because both of them were storms. Yeah. Of different sorts, but mm-hmm. but still still storms. I mean, turmoil. That seems that Yeah, Jesus, turmoil. Jesus was definitely experiencing inner turmoil, and they didn't seem to be picking up on that. Right. And so the 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 actual I mean, obviously there are times when when one is in an actual physical situation of adverse weather mm-hmm. when action has to be taken and and one simply can't sleep. You know, I like, I know I've seen me do it. So I, I don't think that that's, that's the message. The message isn't, Hey, whenever there's a storm, don't worry about it because you will always be safe. Well, you know, I guess the thing is, sorry, you got me going down a, a rabbit trail right now. The interesting thing about the, the, the experience with Jesus in the garden, you know, so with the storm, the storm is occurring. Although I wonder what everybody's state of alertness was prior to the storm. Did they know the storm was coming? I think that that on lakes storms can just kind of right come up pretty quickly. But you you should be able to feel like when the wind is starting to kick. I up. mean, they, they were certainly capable and experienced boatmen, most of them. Well, here's my point though. What is Jesus asking them to do? He's asking them to keep watch, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I've kept a lot of watch over the years, or pulled security is what we call it. Pulling security is a fancy word for laying on the ground awake while everybody else is asleep just in case the bad guys come. Yeah. And even when you know that threat is out there for real, and I say that because a lot of times we go into these field problems where we're pretending there's bad guys, but there aren't actually, but we still go through the miserable torture of laying on the ground awake, freezing our butts off while our guys, our buddies sleep next to us. Yeah. Because, because you have to practice those things. Right. But even when the threat is real, it's still hard to stay awake until it isn't. Right. You know? Right. They didn't, I'm sure they didn't have trouble staying awake. You know, once the, once the mob with the torches and the swords showed up. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, <clears throat> I think we've discussed a, a couple times now, kind of the, 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 the dichotomy between our definitions and maybe God's definitions. And so it's interesting, you know, 
the things that we fear versus maybe the things that he fears, that Jesus fears, you know? Hmm. Hmm. Like, uh, I'm just chewing on that a little bit, thinking about is that is w- w- what might Jesus have feared? I mean, it, in the in the kind of popular sense of fear, separation from his father. Yeah, my God, my God, why why have you forsaken me? I mean, what what is he what is he sweating drops of blood for in the garden? I'm I'm sure it wasn't simply one thing. Yeah. But I I, th- I think that maybe an aspect of it was, so, you know, he, he had never sinned. Mm-hmm. And not only had he never sinned, but he had also, at every point necessary, done all that was, that, done all that was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Yeah. So it's, it's one thing to, to die. I mean, anybody can die or be killed. Okay, well, so hold on, because I see, I kind of feel like I see where you're going with this. So certainly as, 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 a flesh and blood human being, there was probably some fear of the pain to come. Like, sure, right? I don't. I don't think he looked forward to it. I think there was an element of being separate from the Father. That that was to fear, but then you're you're going. A, I think a different or another direction with this in, like dying righteously. Yeah. Like how how do you go through? Like, will I break almost? Right, I mean, all, like all, all all sorts of things could could go sideways, spiritually and emotionally, under torture. Yeah, you know, and I mean, he's had this is a, we're talking about a man, God in the flesh, who's had the devil himself tempt him before. Yes, under uh, extreme circumstances. Yes, food and sleep deprivation, and and he didn't break there, but but that was short of physical harm. And so right. you're saying the concern is that maybe this would be it. Maybe this would be the thing. And, and I'm not sure that he would have feared that he would have fallen. But I, I think that that would have to be part of what he was working out yeah. and sorting out. And also, I'm sure he had concern for his disciples yeah, uh, physically and otherwise. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that, that he had... Uh, I, I think I think that he had to also work out and remember and and, and meditate on the the scriptures like Psalm sixteen that talk about resurrection. Mm-hmm. You know, because he he was he could have commanded the angels, I believe, yeah, to deal with the situation in the garden. Yeah. And so so he was going into this willingly so that, that, that's just it's, it's hard to to wrap to wrap my mind around all that but but to but to, to recognize okay I'm, I'm allowing myself here to be arrested mm-hmm. i'm allowing myself to to go into a kangaroo court yeah where, where, where they're, they're going to be lying and and blaspheming god and i mean i'm sure that that was really difficult for him because he had already cleared out the temple that week yeah in righteous anger but this time he that that wasn't going to be the righteous path it, that, that was the righteous path earlier in the week but it it, it it was it was not that not that way anymore when he's had so many of these kind of like facepalm interactions with the pharisees right and now the, these are the guys who are sitting in moses's seat yeah condemning him to death 
hypocrisy doesn't begin to, I mean, that, that's why Jesus had to say, you know, teachers of the law, you hypocrites, brood of vipers. Yeah. Because the, the, the reality is, is that there isn't really sufficient language for how terrible, how bad, how upside down that that situation is. Yeah. And then to be handed over, to, to have Israelites, his own countrymen, handing him over to the Roman authorities. Because like they had a word for, for Gentile oppressors. That was dogs, mm. which, you know, dogs were, were unclean animals. And, you know, going back to the law, you know, you mentioned that you've been reading in Numbers. I've been reading in Leviticus. They, they were, there was a distinction between the way that Israelites treated each other and the way that they treated and interacted with Gentiles. Right. So in the law, they're, they're permitted to charge interest to Gentiles, but not to right. people within Israel. Yep. Uh, they are permitted to have slaves from or that they, they were permitted to have slaves from from the gentile nations mm-hmm. and to you know basically treat them like slaves but if if a if a fellow israelite became a slave of another israelite it, it was unlawful to treat that israelite as a slave they had had to be treated as a as a hired worker right so for those people who who were sitting in the seat of moses to be so obviously defying the the law of Moses on I mean Jesus could have just started ticking off all of the things you know when they were interrogating him like all the ways that they were breaking the law of Moses by which they were trying to condemn him right and to I mean like a sheep before its shears he did not open his mouth how, well, how do you how do you do that well let me ask you this then so he could have called ten thousand angels like the song suggests would we have had would we have experienced the completeness the perfect peace the harmony in all relationships if if we had gone that route i mean if if jesus would have gone that route yeah yeah no i mean like always he he did everything that was necessary to fulfill all righteousness and and tell you what like that's some serious wisdom and serious righteousness to know when it's righteous to call the hypocrites hypocrites and when it's righteous to keep keep one's mouth closed which is exactly what the proverb says which right. i think i pointed that out last week there there's the proverb that says yes answer a fool according to his folly mm-hmm. and then there's the one that says no don't so i mean in the song right he could have called like we know that it, as the as the son of the creator or as a part of the godhead he is uh has that in his arsenal but really in order to 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 bring bring this completeness about, he couldn't have because the only way he could defeat death, to put death to death, as the song says, is to take on death itself. Right. Yeah. And and so he really did have to, um, in, in that situation, embody. Well, you know, it was Passover. Mm-hmm. So Passover lamb, you know, like the the Passover lamb doesn't yeah doesn't open its mouth to declare. The, the the injustices of the the ones about to kill him. So so I mean, Jesus had to emulate that. And so anyway, I, I guess the way that we got onto this, which I think is very worthwhile to talk about any time, especially today, is so what what was going on in the garden? Mm-hmm. And and I don't think that we've even begun to scratch the surface. And I, I hope that this shows 
how much how much there is there and, and how you're talking about the Gethsemane Gethsemane. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're Justin Adams. When you're talking about the garden, we tend to think it's another garden, right? Well, you know, there are gardens and then there are gardens. <laughs> yeah. This garden garden of Gethsemane, which, uh, the, I mentioned this in a, in a communion meditation sometime this year or last year, it's been relatively recent, but what Gethsemane means. Do you remember that? Were I, you around? I'll, I'll know it when you say it. Okay. So Gethsemane of course was on the Mount of Olives. And yep. so, Gethsemane is an Aramaic, a compound word, and it means olive press. Right. Okay. I've heard this before. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that that's where he was. He, he was in the place where they, they press the olives. Mm-hmm. And so it, it makes a lot of sense how, like, the, the sweat that was coming out was... Yeah, was like like blood, like the the stuff that was inside of him that gave him life was being squeezed out. So I, I think that you know he's he's identifying with the lamb on the one hand with it being Passover. Mm-hmm. He's identifying also with with the olives. Yeah, and but but the, the the really critical difference and why Jesus is so worthy of praise is that the olive and the lamb have no agency. Yeah, they have no free will. Right, Jesus became a, a pressed olive, a, a pressed grape, uh, a slain lamb, knowing full well what he was going into. Right. And also in the process, he's called a, a litany of things that, that, that are, that are lies. I mean, an olive doesn't have to face lies about who, who it is as an olive. A lamb doesn't have to face verbal abuse. Right. And then torture. I mean, like the the the, the death. I mean, of course, an, an olive isn't conscious that I know of, and and a lamb. I mean, it, it's quick. Right. Like the 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 method, the kosher way of of slaughtering mm-hmm. is very humane. Right. You know, it's they they, they open up that that uh, that jugular, and you know, yep. It's just it's over. Yeah, it's over. So I I think that that, that again th- that's some insight into things that might have been going on in his mind. And I think that triangulating scriptures mm-hmm. helped us do that. So, so we read the accounts of Jesus in the garden, but then we also take the Psalms into account. We also take the letters, uh, the, the epistles into account and, and seeing how, how these multiple views of, of Jesus and, and the patterns in the scriptures regarding sacrifices help us understand things that we might not get from just a, a really um, surface level reading of the text. We're also learning that uh, if we start in Isaiah, we might not leave. <laughs> All right. So briefly, then let's. So this is as an attribute of Christian. Then what's our takeaway from this passage when it comes to peace as an attribute of, of a Christian? Well, if it's an attribute of Christ, then clearly it should be and can be an attribute of us, and we can have by His grace and by His Spirit, we can have the kind of peace that we see in Jesus asleep in the boat, and the peace that we see in Jesus in even uh, enduring uh, temptation and torture and horrendous uh, execution, you know, with, you know, righteously. Like Mm -hmm. that's really what peace looks like. Peace is not absence of conflict. Peace is being killed, but maintaining righteousness in the midst of it. Okay. All right, so next we're going to turn over to Romans 5.1, which says, and this is under a subheading of peace and hope. I don't know if we need to stop at one. We might keep going. Let's see. Therefore, excuse me, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I feel like I want to keep going, but we'll... Like I said, we spent a lot of time on Isaiah. All right, so, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's one that's really easy to read over. It is. I think that a lot of Paul is like that because the things that he's saying are uh, really logical arguments. Yeah. And and so it, it's just easy to, to kind of soundbite Paul. Yeah. Without without recognizing the case that he's building. Yeah. So, what what do you think here? Well, I I think it's easy to take this passage and tie peace to Jesus. So we have peace with God by way of Christ, right? So I I guess so if that's if that's the the the, the logic that I'm going to use here, it seems that prior to Jesus dying in our stead. Uh, there was an element of conflict between man and God. And I think that's by virtue of the fact that there was sin in the world. And so we had to find a way to reconcile that. And so we have that through Jesus. So through Jesus, we are complete. Right. And so it's not simply that. So I I agree with the thing about conflict uh, between God and, and man, but at the same time, peace is more than absence of conflict. So, so how does this speak to that? That's why I said we are complete. Yeah. So so okay. So if we're complete now, what did we not have? What good thing did we not have um, prior to uh, Christ's sacrifice? What good thing did we not have? The right. Whole, or like like what good thing other than the Holy Spirit? Well, that that that's one d- definitely a worthy sacrifice. Yeah, I I think there, there's a lot to be said there about the, the Holy Spirit. Um, because I think that, so I think you have to go back to, to think about what, what did man lose? What did man lose uh, due to the, the sin in the garden and in, in what way and how and when does Jesus bring that back? Mm-hmm. So I think that, that that's, that's a good way to think about completion. And well, we, we know that Adam walked with, I, I was going to say in the garden, we didn't need an, an inter interceder intercessor 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 right right and so by sinning we were separated from god right so it wasn't simply that there was conflict but there that there there wasn't right fellowship predominantly so let me ask you this though what do you think about this idea of being justified through faith i know we're not talking about faith we're talking about peace but how are we justified through faith well, I, I think that the, the the word justified there would be connected to, um, how, how, how do I want to say this? Justified by faith. Well, justified means that, that a situation is made right. A, a situation is declared as being met, satisfied, uh, th- that sort of thing. Yeah. And so by faith, so the significance of faith is that, well, faith is trust, you know? Like I have faith in you to the extent that I trust that what you have told me is an accurate portrayal of re- reality, and that was the problem in the garden, yeah. the Garden of Eden, not Gethsemane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to I have to specify here. Yeah, Adam and Eve did not believe God; they didn't trust God enough 
to, <laughs> it's funny this morning to, I, let, to I, let it be what it was. Yeah. So I, I told you about this this morning. We were late to Sunday school because, um, there was a snake in my sock basket mm. and I didn't see it, which that's also kind of interesting. I, I was very, very close to the snake, very much within striking distance yeah. of the snake. You know, you know, the old expression, well, if it would, if it were a snake, it would have bit you. Yeah. Well, that's true. If it were a snake, it would have bit me, but it was a snake and it didn't bite me. I think it was a really good thing that it was so cold this morning because it was kind of lethargic, very lethargic. Like Misty ended up thinking that the thing was dead, but Misty did exactly what, um, what Eve Eve should have done. Yeah. She screamed loudly and ran away as fast as she could screaming, (laughs) man, like if he would have done that, yeah. And if Adam would have grabbed that thing by the neck and taken it out and stomped its head, well, I didn't stomp its its head because it wasn't a poisonous snake. Mm-hmm. It's the poisonous snakes that need to have their heads crushed, right? And this 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 guy was he he was all right. You know, maybe he'll go out and eat some mice or something, and that would be helpful as long as he stays out of my sock drawer. <laughs> but anyway, Adam and Eve did not trust God enough to send the snake packing, right? So the they would have been justified, right? Anyway, the, the situation would have been made right mm-hmm. because obviously it was a bad situation because this there's a serpent who's telling them these things that aren't true, and so that's it's a bad situation. Yeah, if there's somebody who's come into your life who's telling you things that aren't true. Yeah, and so the situation could have been rectified righteously, right? With, with without the need of well of the things that have happened since then. But the, we are justified the same way that, that they that they could have been, you know, that they could have dealt with the situation. It's just like it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, okay, why is that so significant? Abraham believed God because Adam and Eve should have believed God. Mm-hmm. Nimrod should have believed God. Yeah. Ahab and Jezebel should have believed God. Abraham did. Moses did. Joshua and Caleb did. The ten, the, the ten other spies didn't. Yeah. Korah and his dudes they didn't, and the earth opened up and swallowed them. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's, and that's the good thing about Jesus. Jesus believed God. He he trusted Him so much that that He trusted God to the extent that He knew, or had total faith, total trust that if He died, the Father would bring Him back to life. Yeah. So I got some good notes here uh, for this passage. It says, peace with God, not merely a subjective feeling, peace of mind, but pri- that's as an example, mm-hmm. but primarily an objective status, a new relationship with God. So this is interesting. This is kind of in, in line with what I was saying. Once we were his enemies, but now we are his friends. And it has several verses it says to check out. Uh, it says, access, Jesus ushers us into the presence of God. The heavy curtain of the temple that separated us from God and God from us has been removed. I think that's an interesting picture if you think about that, the the the, te- the, the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies. Uh, hope of the glory of God, our confidence that the purpose for which God created us will be ultimately, ultimately realized. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Okay, that's pretty good. Romans, anything else on Romans? No, that's good. All right, let's go on. Oh, sorry, we're still in Romans. There's two more pa- three two more passages in Romans. So, all right. Uh, why don't you read twelve eighteen, and I'll read fourteen seventeen. Oh, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. 
right, I'll hold off on 1417. We actually talked about that one last we week. We did, yeah. Which is interesting. It's this idea of as much as it is possible, you know, because what do we say? Kind of like this idea, uh, you may want to be at peace with people, but to a certain extent, you know, it's a two-way street. If if <laughs> if they don't feel the same, if they aren't reciprocating with peace, then then there's going to be conflict. Right. I, I don't think Jesus came to the earth looking for conflict. Right. I, I don't think he went into Jerusalem necessarily looking for conflict. I think he would have greatly preferred for those who sat in the seat of Moses to righteously, uh, righteously divide the word of truth, let's say. Yeah. Uh, to, to recognize that Jesus really was who he said he was and to act accordingly. Uh, so this reminds me, uh, I need to find the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew 5 through 8. Oh, I skipped it. Matthew 5, let's see. <clears throat> uh, where does it talk about blessed are the peacemakers? That's uh, kind of in the first bit. The Beatitudes should yeah. be in chapter 5. Here we go. All right, so blessed are the pe- that's this is verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So let's think about that, right? So as much as it, what did it say there? As much as possible. As much as possible, be at peace with others or something to that effect, right? Or if it is possible, as much as depends on you, be or live peaceably with all men. And so if we think about that in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children children Mm -hmm. of God, right? Yeah. So it seems like bringing peace to a situation, bringing harmony to a relationship that is the role of a Christian, of a Christ follower. Right, and that goes back to, to the note that you had on, I guess, that that earlier passage mm-hmm. from, from Romans. You said, so no longer enemies, but friends. And I, I think that that's, that's a good way of thinking about peace with God because, right. you know, enemies, that's destructive. And so when we have peace with God, we're not moved to neutrality. Right. Uh, simply absence of conflict. We're moved to the positive and to the constructive being friends. Well, and if you think about that, like being friends with somebody isn't just, I mean, this is something Jessica and I have discussed frequently because you have friends and then you have people that are truly your friends. Like, what am I saying here? That's, that's like saying you like, and then you like, like somebody. That's basically what I just did. But what I'm saying, they're, they're acquaintances and then they're friends maybe. Right. But I'm, yeah, right. Exactly. And with true friendship, uh, they're not always going to tell you the things that you want to hear. Right. Right. And so I guess what I'm saying, where I'm going with that is this idea, kind of what I talked about last week where, right, like, so peace isn't an absence of conflict. And so we can have a relationship and maybe things are harmonious, but every once in a while, like maybe we, we delve into the, the dissonant or the minor a little bit to get in an attempt to get back to harmony because, you know, you're doing something that is affecting the peace of our relationship. Well, pulling weeds is really enjoyable. Right. Or or at least I don't know the people who enjoy pulling weeds. And if you do enjoy pulling weeds, uh, drop a comment with your uh, with your email address and your phone number, and we will be contacting you shortly. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so anything else on that verse? I think we, we talked about that quite a bit at length. We did. Okay, 1417 is the other one I said, I believe. 1417 says... It's hard to see around this microphone. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. 
which at least one of those is another one of the fruits of the fruit of the spirit. And of course that, that verse is in the context of conflicts that were happening in the church over, over meat sacrificed to idols. Right. And so it's, it's saying, you know, that's, that's just not, that's not the point that, that we're going for here. Like if, if you're so, it, it's probably not good to be so torn up about somebody eating some meat sacrificed to an idol, mm-hmm. but it, it's also not good to kind of wave that freedom in somebody's face. Well, it's interesting. The next verse even says, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Which reminds me, uh, you know, of the passage of, you know, working for the Lord and not for men. Or Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Right. Like, we we do it for God, and one of the ancillary effects of that is that it's also pleasing to men. Uh, uh, to the extent that these are men that are uh, appreciate godly things, whether, I guess, regardless of whether they are a follower of, God's or not, of God or not, because I think even the godless appreciate godly things, they just won't give him credit for it, maybe? Well, uh, th- that's uh, that's entirely possible. Um, of course, there are people who really love the darkness, but this is also an example of uh, putting first things first or you get neither. It's an example of seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well because it's it's really good to have, it's good to have man's approval and it's good to have God's approval, but there's a hierarchy uh, of, of, of value there because if you have to pick one, it's favor with God. So you pursue the favor with God, and then when the favor with man happens in that context, well, it's it, that's great. But if you have favor with man only, and not with God, well, that's you know, not a great situation. Well, I guess what I'm saying is I think secular folks would appreciate perfect peace; they just wouldn't give God credit for it. I would hope so. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, man, there's something else I was going to say. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating, drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. No, I guess I guess that was it. I can't think of what I was going to say. Okay. What are we? Well, we're at an hour, minus 10 for banter, 50 minutes. Okay, we're doing good. We're doing well. All right, the next passage I have is Ephesians 2, 14 through 17. Galatians, Ephesians 2, 14 through 17. I flipped right past it. I did too. Did you say Galatians or Ephesians? Ephesians 2. Okay. All right. I've got it. 2 what? 14 through 17. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. That's going back to the the curtain that you had mentioned earlier. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Uh, I guess I'll mention the subheading here is Jew and Gentile reconciled through Christ. Which which I guess to me is interesting, again, considering the NIV's definition where they say bringing harmony to all relationships. I think that's probably a real tangible one for the people of that time. This idea of through Christ, these two these two groups having 
harmony brought to their relationship. I mean, certainly not always and everywhere were Jews and Gentiles in harmony with one another, but certainly in, well, <laughs> in the church, at least that was the intent. I guess we, we see Paul addressing that. I mean, that's probably what he's addressing here, right? That's one of the two or three main conflicts in the epistles right? that, that were constantly being addressed. I mean, so, so what was it? It was, I mean, just believing the right things about Jesus, number one. Yeah, heresy. Uh, and then kind of personal morality, oftentimes sexual morality, and then uh, dealings in the church involving like, cross-cultural stuff like Jew and Gentile. Doesn't seem like much has changed on that front. Like those three things. Oh yeah, you know nothing new under the sun, right? Well, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> what that reminds me of too. Uh, I can't remember which one of our historical speakers it was. I want to say it was um, Brother Rake, I think. Okay. Where he talked about the church. Yeah, he's the one that talked about the church. And one of the interesting things he said at the end of his message is like, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here. And with all these things that Paul's addressing, all the problems with the church, at no point does he or Jesus say that you can leave the church when the, just because this stuff is going on. Like, it's we're still called to to be a member. Right. You know, where two or more are gathered or not forsaking the assembly, all, all that. Yep. Um, so I, I, and that's interesting. I, I mean, I guess, okay, so what does that say to us about church, to, about peace? As Christians, well, some, sometimes peace is—I uh, I guess might go along with long suffering mm-hmm. and and patience Which because is coming. yeah, yeah it, it's highly likely that peace takes work over time. Well, and, and I guess going back to the passage you read a second ago, you know, to the extent that it's within our control, we need to be at peace with others. Uh, I would say first and foremost in the church. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, family, church, mm-hmm. neighbors. Right. And and why is that? Why is it so important that we have peace in the church? Well, Jesus talked about when he gave the great commission, he said uh, that he would send them to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm. So we, we have this kind of a, a geographical hierarchy. You know, you, you have to, or from the parables, we know you have to be faithful in small things before you're entrusted with larger things. Mm-hmm. And so, so if there's, if there are problems in the home, it's like a, you know, that's a crack in the foundation. Yeah. You know, you can't put more weight on it or you can't invite more people in. Mm-hmm. Let's say if, if there, if there are structural flaws in the, in the basic unit. What? Right. I mean, I think you're saying the thing I'm thinking here, where it's, it's, it's also just a matter, it's a matter of what things you're attending to. Yes. So if you're manufacturing problems within the assembly and now you're having to attend to those problems, what are the things that you're supposed to be doing that you aren't because your time is being jeopardized with those things? Yeah. And here's, here's a, here's a synonym for attending worship. Right. I mean, the thing to which we attend is the thing that we worship. Mm-hmm. So if, it, yeah, if we're having, if we're attending to things that that create uh, needless conflict, then there, there's not peace. But there's also not opportunity to attend to 
things that might require righteous conflict. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, because we have to choose what we attend to. Right. And so if you go back to those three things that you just listed, which was heresy. Uh, okay. What were they again? So we, we've kind of talked about heresy, yeah, heresy. Um, you might say sec- sexual immorality, sexual immorality. And, and then the, the, the Jew Gentile right, thing, the cultural dynamics. Yeah. Which again, it, there's there's so much of that going on in the church today where i mean it, it's it's interesting because certainly you want you know you want your 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 church your relationship with people at church to be familial shall we say mm-hmm. like we are to be close with these people i mean think about the passage that Caleb and and then Winston read from I lose Colossians this morning right uh 1 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians was it 1 Corinthians it's 1 Corinthians hmm almost want to fact check that it's recorded i think okay we'll fact check it later <laughs> but when you read that passage you can just i mean you you hear how winston was having a little bit of trouble keeping it together even like the you can feel the love that paul has for those people in that passage yep. you know but i guess the for lack of a better term the problem with a relationship of that intensity is the other things that tend the baggage that tends to come along with it. Oh, sure. And yeah. so, I mean, and this probably goes back to the, you know, this theme of wisdom or discernment that we've been discussing here, where at some point you just need to set that stuff aside and be at peace with one another so that we can focus on the thing that we're supposed to be doing here, which is fulfilling the great commission, right? Which is like a sub mission of, of, of God's mission shall we say uh-huh. that requires submission right it's interesting that submission commission mission right yeah. yeah but it but how submission does it have two meanings or one meaning i kind of I, I don't think so i don't know i think submission means submission right but I mean, does it also mean sub my intent was a play mission. on words there yeah. yeah yeah but i wonder if the play on words actually comes all the way back around yeah po- probably because Submission clearly means that there's a allegiance to a greater mission, and that the the mission that's above, or kind of dictates or, or makes determinations about the mission that is below. Mm-hmm. And so, to fulfill the submission requires submission. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, from this passage from Ephesians, what's what's kind of our final takeaway here? This is the last verse of peace as an attribute of Christians. What do you think? Well, I'm, I'm looking at it again. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Well, I think it speaks to the, to the, uh, to the eminence of God, mm-hmm. you know, to, to his, his immediate presence and his, his dealings with, with mankind. Yeah. So, and, and the, the effort that, that he's, he's put into, that Jesus put into, into, into making peace even possible in in the first place yeah 
I mean, he would have been well within his rights to just totally destroy mankind yeah. uh, on multiple occasions, maybe, maybe constantly. But it's, it's really remarkable that, that the creator of the universe is the kind of person who actually wants us mm-hmm. to know him. Yeah. And is immensely patient. Yeah. I mean, he, he's preached peace to those far off and to those who were, who were near both yeah. Jew and Gentile. And, and that, that's probably one of the ways that the, that the Jewish leadership really, uh, put themselves in a, in a position where they, where they were not likely to recognize the Messiah when he showed up is attitude towards Gentiles, you know, to those, to those who are, Mm -hmm. to those who are far off, not recognizing that all through their scriptures, not only was there provision in the law for Gentiles to become a part of Israel, I mean, to be a part of God's people. I mean, I, I think that they probably thought too much of themselves as their own thing rather than as God's thing, mm-hmm. as God's God's nation, his royal priesthood, his his holy nation. Yeah. And and then all of the prophecies, which that that's a kind of a theory of mine, which I, I may have mentioned. I, I can't prove this. Uh, there are some sources that I'm reading that I, that hopefully might give me some insight eventually, either telling me I'm right or wrong or maybe on the right track or maybe on the wrong track. But I think the fact that the Pharisees are called the teachers of the law might mm-hmm. be telling. Yeah. That maybe they were teachers of the law to the detriment of being teachers of the rest of the Old Testament. Yeah. Because it, all through the, the prophecies, so not only is there provision for Gentiles in the law, there are also prophecies about the Lord bringing Gentiles yeah. in. Yeah. And, you know, God being God of, of, of everyone. And so, so we have that here. Jesus was absolutely interested, not just in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, where, where his people were located primarily, but also the ends of the earth. Yeah. Um, you know, you even have, uh, there, there are passages that reference the isles that are far off. Mm-hmm. In other words, like, like really the, the ends of the earth. Yeah. And man, that's, that changes everything. Okay, so I guess in the realm of a final thought, here, here's what's kind of churning in my brain right now. So we, especially when we look at this idea of these two peoples who are in conflict with, with one another who need to be at peace. So there needs to be harmony in their relationship. Going back to our, our, our original definition, our discussion about kind of music, that musical term of harmony. And I guess what I, I'm thinking about here is when we think about a musical chord, it's interesting that we use that word chord because I think of the passage of a chord of three strands that's not easily broken. Right. Of course, that's spelled differently. Right. But it's still an apt play on words. Yeah. It's it's convenient, at least in our language. Probably doesn't play out in Hebrew very well, right? Or Greek. But either way, when we think about a musical chord, uh, like uh, uh, the chord is still named after like the predominant note, mm-hmm. right? So if I have a G chord... It's as though the rest of those notes are complementing the G chord. So it's it's like that's the root. Yeah. Probably the right term, I don't know, of that chord. And so I think it's the same thing here where we can be in harmony with other people if the if if 
you know, the, the root, if we have the same root, uh, in the chord that we're making, I don't know, that didn't come together as nice as I thought it would. <laughs> right. So, so the predominant root, the G chord, the G note is, is God. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. And, and, and we, yeah, we, we should be resonating with him. So that's, that's good. But I also think that thinking about the, the analogy of, of music is apt because clearly what we're after is not silence. If we have a musical instrument, right. We're after harmony or after concordance and concordance mm-hmm. and that, yeah, that's right. So if a person is, is playing a guitar and it sounds terrible, the problem is not that the person is playing guitar mm-hmm. and, and there are things that can be done to, to, to bring the instrument itself into tune or to attune the, the player to, you know, proper fretting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, N- never tell a guitar player to not fret. <laughs> and that's the best play of words. So play on words so far. All right. Anything else? Yeah, I guess that's my final thought. Don't fret. All fear right. not. Well, then you got to pray us out. Oh, I do. Don't I? Yes. Okay. Lord, thank you that, that Jesus has come, Jesus has risen, and that he will, he will come again. And thank you that as we wait for that return, that we, we have the Spirit indwelling us. And so I, I pray that we would, we would see and uh, experience and, and grow and share uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.